<laughs> well, good morning again, everyone. <laughs> That's it for this morning. God bless you guys. Have a great week. <laughs> we are continuing our study through the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 9. If you need a Bible, Carter's up. He'll bring one right to your seat. Just raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. Greg will get one for you. Going, going. All right. You got your phone Bible, get it out. Tablet Bible, get it out. There's no playing games during the sermon. I wonder if this is great. Oh, they're really interesting. No, they're playing the game. <laughs> Revelation chapter 9. We're just going to look at the first 12 verses this morning. Let's read through them, starting in verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given, or they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle, on their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is a bad end, but in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. The title of my message this morning is Jesus dot dot dot, our only hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to spend this morning. Lord, time in fellowship with each other to encourage one another. Time to be spent in your word, God, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are here to teach us and instruct us in all things that pertain to life and to godliness through your word. Father, we thank you that we can look to you as believers and have hope in this present world today because we know you and we have a relationship with you. We do pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is not yet in that place, they don't know you, they don't have this relationship with you, they don't know uh, that their sin is forgiven, that they, they can be born again today. Touch their heart especially, we pray. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, with all our focus this past week on the election and all of the uh, different emotions that come as a result of the election, 
I saw a video on social media that really spoke to my heart. I think many of you maybe have seen part of it. It takes us back to the Reverend Billy Graham and his ministry. And so we're going to show that to you, just 50 seconds long. Isn't that awesome? With all that goes on, Jesus is our hope. I heard a story about a guy that liked to study the book of Revelation. He was not known for his great intellect. He believed the word of God. However, he had some friends that considered themselves very intelligent and considered themselves these great theologians. And they said, why would you even try to study the book of Revelation? No one can figure it out. It's an enigma. The guy said, well, I understand it. Oh, yeah, they said, explain it to us. What does the book of Revelation mean? His response, it means that we win. That's what Revelation says. We win in the end. Let me tell you, with all the politics going up and all over the air and who wins the election, I know one thing. Jesus wins. And I know this. He always wins. And we that belong to Him, we win. I bring this up because as we look at this world today, in many ways, it's in chaos. The moral, the political meltdown in America we see, and we may wonder, what is going on? What's happening? Here's what we need to know. God has predicted so many of the things we see happening right now. That's how we can know for certainty that God is in control. That God is still on His throne, and nothing is happening that's taking Him by surprise. See, the Bible is one book that... that, that Dares to predict the future. Not once, not twice, but hundreds of times with 100% accuracy. You know, anybody can predict the future, you know, but, but we really don't know if they're right on the money until something transpires and we see the thing that they predicted actually came true. Now, in the case of the Bible, we have a lot of history to look back on and to see the things that the Bible said would happen have actually happened as God said they would happen which then tells us the things that God says is still going to happen, is going to happen. And that's one of the many reasons why we are studying the book of Revelation together. Number one, to show us that God's word is true. Number two, to show us Jesus is our only hope. And number three, to show us that there will be justice in this world one day. We are seeing so much injustice in our world presently even in our own country, when it comes to this election, it's great to know that justice will come. There are wicked people doing wicked things and seemingly getting away with it, and yet according to Revelation, one day there's going to be a reckoning. 
And it's going to be sheer terror, as we will read about. See, this is where we pick it up from last time in Revelation 9. Revelation chapter 9, the church, we the church, we're not here on earth. Jesus has taken us home. Revelation chapter 4, the church is caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Chapters 5 and 6, the church is in heaven. We're worshiping the Lord as our creator. We're worshiping the Lord as our redeemer. We really don't appear the church that is in, in, in the book of Revelation until the later on in chapter 19 when Christ comes back again in the second coming and we, the church, return with him. We are safe and sound in glory with the Lord. But with the absence of the church on the earth, what the Bible says is the restraining force of the Holy Spirit working through the church, once we're gone into heaven, any source of morality is going to go out the window. And we certainly are well on our way in that direction right now. People all the time are pushing against our Christianity, saying things like, well, we don't like the way you Christians think, and, and we don't appreciate your beliefs, and you're racist, and you're bigoted because you call homosexuality a sin, or you're narrow-minded and hate-mongers because you're against uh, abortion, the murdering of children. Listen, folks, once we're out of the picture, when they finally get rid of us, they're going to rejoice as all sorts of immorality and wickedness breaks loose. At that point, God will have no choice but to execute justice to bring judgment. Reminds me of when God brought justice against Egypt back in the book of Exodus. Remember that Moses went in and demanded the release of the Jews and the Pharaoh basically said, no way. So then God sent a series of plagues that came against Egypt. Did you know that those plagues were directed uh, at at towards the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And the Egyptians, they worshipped, you know, thousands of gods. So, so God actually, with a touch of humor, gave them their gods right back. One of the gods that they worshipped, for instance, was a frog god. Its ancient name, Kermito, translated Kermit the frog. Um, and he was... Okay, it's not Kermito, it's... As if you guys believe me. <laughs> Heget was the name of their god. So the Lord said, okay, you're in the Heget. Then you're going to get a frog goddess Heget wherever you go. Have it all frogs galore. And the plague of frogs came. And there were frogs everywhere in their beds and in their ovens. And the frogs everywhere you looked. And then eventually the Lord killed their frogs. And then there were dead frogs everywhere you looked. And it just stunk up the place. Lord says, you want to worship frogs, and then here you go, here's all the frogs. Listen, the same thing is going to be true in the book of Revelation. God is saying, you want to sin? You want to indulge in all the wicked things? Then you're going to get what you ask for. Have it your way. Fill your life up with as much sin as you can. By the way, let me know how that works out for you, because in the end, all hell is going to break loose upon this earth. See, that's where we left off in chapter 8. We saw the seventh seal opening to reveal the seventh trumpet blast. The first four blasts of the trumpets brought about incredible destruction. First angel that sounded the trumpet in verse 7 of chapter 8, a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass were burned up. Second angel sounded his trumpet and in verse 9 of chapter 8, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. A third angel sounded his trumpet, and in verse 10, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Fourth angel blew his horn, 
Verse 12, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Terrible, horrible, frightening things. We look at how this could have been brought about by human devastation. We looked at that possibly through war, forces of nature. You can only imagine what that's going to be like, particularly when you think about the New Age you know, environmentalists and the global warmers and, and exist today, how one-third of their environment's going to be wiped out. But now we come to the last three of the trumpet judgments. These are also called the woe judgments because of the catastrophic events that are revealed. These appear to be largely associated with satanic and demonic activity, judging by the symbolism that is used in the text. Look back at verse 13 now of chapter 8. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, this word for woe is an interesting word. There are different ways to use the word woe. If you're a horse person and your horse is galloping like crazy, you're going to say, Whoa, horse, whoa, stop. Now, if you're... You know, if you're a surfer guy, you know, the surfer language, you're going to go, whoa, check out that wave, dude. Whoa, I mean, it's reaction to something that you see. And that could be what's going on here in reaction to what they see is happening. Is, whoa, check it out, dude. But more so, this word, whoa, was used as, whoa, watch out. This is going to be bad. You better beware because this is going to be horrible. And that's what I believe is happening here in chapter 9. A very intense time that will come upon the face of the earth. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 21, 26, that men's hearts would be failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. Listen, the book of Revelation is not a good bedtime reading book. You know, there's not a whole lot of, of life verses found in Revelation. Oh, you know, my life verse is Revelation 8.13. Whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of the earth. It just it ministers to me so much. It's my life verse. I mean, we've read of war and famine and disease and death and earthquakes. Uh, I, I, I mean, so frightening that man's responsibly asking for the mountains to fall on them and crush them. They want to hide from the wrath of the Lamb, from the wrath of God. We've read of the sun being darkened, the moon looking like blood, the waters contaminated, one-third of the oceans, rivers, springs, and ships all destroyed. We've read of hell and fire coming down from heaven, maybe these giant meteorites. But you know what? It's really nothing compared to what's about to happen with this, the reality of the fifth trumpet. What could be possibly worse? Well, chapter 9 gets worse. All hell literally breaks loose on the earth. In other words, hell literally visits the earth. So without long introduction, if you're taking notes, we're going to see four things specifically. Number one, a star unfixed, a pit unlocked, a horde unleashed, and a world unnerved. First and foremost, verse one, a star unfixed. We read, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven, to the earth. Now that's a different star than what we just read about in chapter 8 and that this star is given a personality. It's given the ability to do something. We read in verse 1, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. 
Now, this isn't speaking of a falling star, shooting star, you know, that we'd see on a clear day, but a, a fallen star. Past tense, verse 1 says, it was a star that had fallen from heaven. Literally, this speaks of an event that has already happened, but continues to be active. So who is this star that had fallen from heaven? Listen to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's a great verse to show uh, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was a witness to Satan being cast out of heaven. Way before he came to this earth, born from a virgin. Satan was already on this earth before man was ever created. Now there are those that have a really hard time with believing in a character called Satan or the devil. And maybe, you know, they have sort of this caricature picture in their mind of Satan, who's a guy, you know, he's got the, the red suit on, and he's got the little horns, you know, and, and a point, pointy tail. And, of course, he's got a goatee, because all pictures of the devil, they have to have a goatee, and, and a pitchfork and hoofs and, and all the rest of that. But that really is not the picture the Bible paints of Satan at all. That's just bad TV is all that really is. Listen, the Bible teaches that Satan is a super being and very much alive. But there are some that go the other way and that they would dismiss that altogether and say, though, there is no way that there could actually be a devil. Reminds me of the story of a boxer who was in a ring and he was being plummeted by his opponent that he finally was so worn out and so beaten up that he yelled to his trainer, I can't take it anymore. Throw in the towel. This guy's killing me. Trainer said, oh, come on, give me a break. He hasn't laid a glove on you. He hasn't touched you. And while the boxer continued to be beaten up, he yelled back to his trainer, well, then look at the referee because someone sure is hitting me. You know, when we go through life, we're getting hit. We're getting pummeled and we're saying, what is this? Listen, there is a devil. And it's a logical explanation for the evil that's in the world today. Because as I look around and I see the moral depravity, the wickedness, the perversion in our culture, to me it makes perfect sense to know that there is a very wicked, intelligent spirit being with a wicked agenda that is behind all of this, known by the name Satan. And anything God intends to do, Satan seeks to undo. God said, I will send a Savior into the world to redeem mankind from their sin. And Satan sought to kill, destroy, damage the Jewish line and the birth of the Messiah. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan had not forgotten the promise that God made in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Satan knew there was only a matter of time before Jesus would come, and he was watching for him. And in the process, Satan tried many times and many different ways to destroy Jesus before he had a chance to go to the cross, even using Herod to try, try to destroy Jesus as a baby. Because Satan knew if Jesus went to the cross and died for sins that he was doomed. Jesus said in John twelve thirty two, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Jesus had to be lifted up. That was the plan of God. Jesus came to the world to save sinners, to show grace upon us, to give us eternal life to those that put their faith and trust in Him. God's plan all along. But again, Satan's plan to kill, to rob, to destroy. 
That's why he's behind so many of the horrible things that we see in our culture today. Now, God's word says in Ezekiel 38.8 that in the last days the Jews would be brought back into their land. And prior to 1948 when Israel became a nation and the prophecy fulfilled, Satan's plan was to exterminate all the Jews. To make God's word uh, not true to get rid of the Jews through his servant Hitler. And even earlier, Satan's plan was to exterminate the Jews through Haman in the book of Esther. So the one mistake is to dismiss the devil altogether, saying he's a mere fable. The other problem is is to have way too much focus and attention on him. Reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis, who said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. In other words, there are those who don't believe in the devil at all and the devil, the devil is delighted by that because he can manipulate their lives without them even knowing it. And then there are others who are so obsessed with satanic things that it becomes a serious problem because that's all they think about. There's a demon around every corner and a, a demon in this and a demon in that and the focus is on the demon of this or the demon of that instead of the Lord. You know, you have the, the demon of, you know, and his name is Andy because you can't stay away from Andy's frozen custard. He keeps shaking you there. Uh, you're not just possessed by the demon of Andy. What's the name? It's Andy. Listen, we, we need to find a balance. We don't want to ignore Satan altogether because he's a powerful spirit being with a clear agenda. But we don't want to have an unhealthy interest in him in either. All you need to know about the devil is found right here in the pages of Scripture. We need not look elsewhere. Now the question is often asked about the devil. Well, why would God, you know, the God of love, create something as wicked and as horrible as the devil? Assuming that the devil was created as we know him today. But you've got to go back to Isaiah chapter 14. We know that Satan used to be called Lucifer and he was a high-ranking angel that was in the order of the cherubim, a certain type of angelic being. He was an angel that had exquisite beauty and great wisdom. He had seemed to have a position of authority, of maybe the, the worship leader in heaven, great power and influence. We know that he rebelled against God and because angels like people have a free will, Lucifer exercised his free will. He didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. And then he led one-third of the angels with him in his rebellion. And those one-third fallen angels are what we know as demons today. How many angels that is, we don't know. We know that when uh, Jesus delivered uh, uh, the possessed man in Gethsemane, that Jesus asked the name of the, the demon, and the demon said, We are legion. And uh, a legion at that time was some 6,000 or more in one possessed man. I mean, talk about having a bad day. So, Satan has this well-organized force of demon powers that essentially do his bidding. Now, again, we're not sure how many uh, demons there are, but, but we will see a certain number of these demons are kept in this bottomless pit that God has given Satan the key to open up. Because God is going to use Satan and these demons to bring destruction and judgment to a Christ-rejecting world. In fact, according to verse 11, you can drop down there, here is the name of this star. We're told in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. Both names mean destroyer. Now we can learn a lot 
from the names in the Bible. The name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And certainly Jesus is that. He's our Savior. We know Abraham, his name means father of, of many nations or father of multitude. And he certainly was a father of the Jewish people. We know that the name Enoch means dedicated. And we know that the Bible says Enoch walked with God and was not because God took them. We know that the name Satan means accuser, means adversary, it means opposition or opposed to. And that certainly fits him. He is man's adversary and certainly opposed to anything that God loves. But it also fits his game plan. Satan is opposed to anything in our lives that the Lord would seek to build up in our lives. Again, Satan's desire is to kill, rob, and destroy. That's his nature. So if you're trying to build your home on Christian principles, and you want to give your, your, your children a Christian foundation and stand upon the Word of God, know that his plan is to destroy all of that. If you're seeking to minister with the gifts that God has given you, whatever ministry He's called you to do, to bring glory to the Lord, know that the devil is going to come against you, is going to come against that ministry you're involved in, because that's who he is. And he'll try to wreak havoc in your life and commotion in your life and come against you any way that he can. But in contrast to that, Jesus came to give life and that to the fullest. Now what a stark contrast that is. Jesus said this in John 10.10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Listen, if you take away the D in devil, you get evil. If you take away the D-E in devil, you get vile. And that's what he is, he's vile. If you take away the D-E-V in devil, you have ill. And that's what he wants to make you ill. And if you take away D-E-V-I, devil, it leaves you with L, and that's exactly where he wants to take you, to L. <laughs> Some of you are going, that's pretty lame, Tom. Yeah, yeah, it probably was, but guess what? You'll remember it tomorrow, right? <laughs> Point number two, a pit unlocked. Look at verse two. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Now here again we have the phrase, the bottomless pit. In the Greek it's a word, abuso. It means immeasurable depth or very deep gulf or chasm in the lowest parts of the earth. It's always in reference to the abode of some incarcerated demons. It appears seven times in the book of Revelation. We know that Satan himself is going to be locked up there for a thousand year millennial period, but then he's going to be loose for a season attempting to deceive the people once again, and then eventually he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Speaking of this group of demons in this bottomless pit, Peter writes this in Second Peter 2 verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Speaking of them, so a certain number in this group of angels, have sinned. They're now called demons. They're kept in this place reserved from, for judgment until God allows Satan to open up this pit for a season to bring destruction, to bring judgment to a Christ-rejecting world. What sin made these demons so particularly evil that, that got them locked up? Well, listen to Jude, verse 6 and 7. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 
as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. What did they do? Well, Jude says they abandoned their proper domain. They stepped out of their proper realm. And it says it was similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, men tried to have sex with angels. Remember that? The angels came in and and men wanted to have sex with them. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the perversion of homosexuality, these demons indulged in gross immorality and one after strange flesh, the Bible says. This could be very well what is described in Genesis chapter 6 where you read that the sons of God one after the daughters of men, the result were these, these Nephilim, these, these, these giants in the world that God had to drown in a universal flood. This may, uh, rather this many believe are some of these demons that the Lord said sinned so violently that he had to put them, lock them in this bottomless pit. Well, here in verse 1, Satan's given the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 2, he opens the bottomless pit. Smoke arises out of the pit. It's like a great furnace. The sun and the air are darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Again, his name, verse 11, in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Now here's what's interesting, folks. Located in Switzerland is the home of the largest particle accelerator in the world. The large uh, uh, Hadron Collider. The, the company that, that owns it is called CERN. Its logo is 666. You can see, this. I'm not making this up. CERN has produced the largest Hadron Collider that sits in an underground 17-mile subterranean loop that works as a superconducting magnet that can smash particles at nearly the speed of light. And they are experimenting with what is called the Higgs boson or God particle. They're dealing with this antimatter mechanism that creates a magnetic field 100,000 times greater than the Earth's magnetic field. It's located some 328 feet down beneath the surface of the earth. A large portion of CERN is located in a territory known as St. Genus Poili. Now, in Roman times, this territory was called Apollyacum. The town and the temple were dedicated to Apollyon. I'm not making this up. Prominently displayed outside of the CERN facility is the statue of a Hindu god, Lord Shiva, also known as the God of Destruction. Very fascinating. Again, Abaddon in Hebrew and Greek, Apollyon, both names mean destroyer. And I'm just speculating. You could decide for yourself. Could this be the place where the bottomless pit is opened as man seeks to break the barrier between the physical and the spiritual realm? Something to think about. Now, what does come out of this pit? This brings us to our third point, and that is a horde unleashed. Look at verses 3 through 5. This is the part in the book of Revelation that when I was a kid, I would turn to, to read just to get the daylight scared out of me. Verse 3. Then out of the smoke, locusts came up upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Locust, the term locust, is used some 22 times in the Bible from Exodus to Malachi. And it's always used 
in a way of, of judgment. They travel in masses, which symbolizes their, their mass destruction. But understand what we're reading about here. These are not normal locusts. Let me point out four things different about these locusts. First, number one, normal locusts, they eat grass. They eat crops. They eat any green vegetation. But these are types that they're going to be chewing on people. Verse 5 says they're going to torment them for five months. Secondly, we know according to Proverbs 30, verse 27, that the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. But here we see the locusts, they do have a king. Verse 11 says, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. Thirdly, we see that these locusts are able to distinguish between the saved and the lost. They were commanded not to harm those who had the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, we've looked at the seal of God already. It's what's going to identify those that are Christians or saints. This would include the 144,000, those who have come to Christ during the Great Tribulation period. The Bible is clear. When a person comes to Christ, they are sealed until the day of redemption. So God is going to prevent these locusts from tormenting any tribulation saints. Fourth thing that is different about these locusts is that these locusts look different than real locusts. Real different. Look at verses 7 through 10. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and the teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sounds of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Imagine the worst criminal being set loose, vile, evil men running loose with no restraints. That doesn't even come close to what's going on and what this is going to be like. John here is being very descriptive. He says the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. This speaks of, this speaks of strength and power and defiance. I mean, picture an army of horses all in battle formation, eager to charge into their mission of destruction. Verse 7, and their faces were like the faces of men. This speaks of their intelligence, that they were rational beings. Verse 8, they had hair like women's hair. This speaks of their seductiveness. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. This speaks of their ability to bite and to inflict torment. Verse 9, they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. This suggests that they're going to be indestructible. All of man's weaponry will not be able to stop them. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. This speaks of their ability to travel at great speeds, high speeds, and not be able to escape them. In verse 10, they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. And this really just speaks of, of the kind of torment that they're going to be able to inflict. You know, in spite of how ugly they are and how creepy they are, most scorpions are not deadly. They won't really kill you unless maybe you're a small child. But a bite from a powerful scorpion can be very tormenting and make you go crazy. It affects your nervous system. That includes numbness and and frothing at the mouth and difficulties in breathing and muscle twitching and convulsions. So this wicked horde of demons will be released to torment those on the earth. Understand, God is not being cruel to the unbeliever, but the time has come that he must judge wickedness. And I also want to point out one more time that Satan and his horde of demons that is inflicting this uh, and is the power, it is limited. 
His power is limited. God is only allowing this to go on for five months, and then he's going to put a stop to it. We read that Satan was given the key to the Abuso, which means that he can't open it whenever he wants to. This is all planned out by God with God to accomplish God's purpose. God is in control here. Understand, the devil has clear limitations what he can or can't do during the tribulation and really even in the life of us as believers. Here's something that, that we need to know and that the devil especially doesn't want you to know. See, he wants you to think that he's essentially equal with God. That there's a God in heaven ruling heaven and, and, and there's a, the devil down in, in hell ruling from his, his place. And, and, and God in heaven and has got all his angels doing his work and the devil's got all his demons doing his work. And, and there's just kind of this positive and, and, and negative, you know, it's like the, the, the good side and the dark side of the force and, and uh, you know, the evil emperor on one side and Yoda on the other. That's not what this is. That's not reality. The reality is Satan is nowhere equal to God whatsoever, not even close. Satan's a created being. God is, is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. Satan is none of those things. God is omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. Satan is not. He has clear limitations of what he can and can't do. Those that, he's a powerful spirit. He cannot do whatever he wants. God is omniscient. The devil is not. God knows everything, whereas Satan is only limited uh, to what, what he knows. Number three, God is omnipresent. Satan is not. God can be everywhere at the same time. Satan can only be uh, one place at one time. You know, people say, well, I was, I was tempted by Satan. You probably weren't. Probably tempted by one of the demons. Satan is too busy working on the big guys. <laughs> the big guns, you know. But, but here again, Satan and his demons, they are a powerful force. But only in comparison to other angels. Satan's power is nowhere close to God's. In fact, it's interesting in looking at the Gospels, when Jesus encountered demons, they trembled. When he spoke, they fled. Sometimes people think, well, can can Christians be demon-possessed? No. And it's really simple. How can Jesus and a demon coexist in the same body? First of all, the demon's not going to want to be there. See, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. God will not allow any demonic force to coexist there. There's no timeshare condo going on there. It's impossible. The Bible says, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? That doesn't mean we don't experience attacks from the enemy on the outside. They just can't come in on the inside. And listen, when we are attacked by the enemy and he's tempting you to sin... The way to overcome darkness is not to, to, to getting into a shouting match with the devil. I come against you, devil, and start yelling at the devil, and you get out of my house. And you, no. Just turn on the light. I mean, how do you overcome darkness? You turn the light switch on. There's no battle. There's no yelling, come out, demon. You simply turn to, turn to the switch on to God's word. Start quoting God's word. Lightness and darkness cannot dwell at the same place and at the same time. James puts it simply, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil how? By turning on the light, drawing close to Jesus. You see, it's either going to be light or it's going to be dark. That's why those who say Christians can be demon-possessed are so wrong because Satan or a demon cannot dwell in you if Jesus is there. You know, in every instance in the New Testament, not once was someone uh, possessed as a demon that was a Christian. Even after Jesus ascended and, and Paul and his writings or John or James, none of them speak of a Christian being demon-possessed. 
Because again, here's the thing. Demons don't want to be around Jesus. Because they recognize His power. And the fact that they are in total submission to Him. Again, I think of the legion of demons who were removed from the possessed man in Gennesaret. In Luke 8.31, those demons begged Jesus that He would not command them to go out into the abyss. To not go into the pit. Again, we know that the pit was feared by demons at all costs. And they begged Jesus not to cast them into the bottomless pit. They didn't want to go into the place of captivity. So instead, Jesus was merciful and cast them into a herd of swine that proceeded then to run over the cliff. The first instance in the Bible, the mention of devil ham right there and then. That's an old one. Thank you for laughing anyway. Used it many times. So this torment uh, of these people on earth for five months and then God's going to say, okay, enough is enough because God is in complete control. Know that today. God is in complete control of everything that's going on. This leads us to our final point, number four, a world unnerved. Look at, back at verse six now. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. What this means is people are going to do anything they can and everything they can to kill themselves and God's not going to let them. They're going to wish they were dead, but God's not going to allow them to die this time. Listen, there has never been a horror movie that's ever made that it can even come close to what's going on at this time. These demonic creatures are going to be everywhere. People are going to look out their kitchen windows and they're going to be looking right at them. Could you imagine how horrifying that's going to be? They're going to be unstoppable. They're going to be going from neighborhood to neighborhood, tormenting people, causing people to shriek in terror out of fear and pain and torment. All pride and and self-esteem is going to be a thing of the past as people are screaming and rolling on the ground because of the pain from these demonic creatures stinging them and biting them over and over and over again. Mankind has never experienced anything like this before. It's worse than any dream or any nightmare someone can experience. It's going to be one of the worst times in human history, only second to, to, to Armageddon. Literally a hell on earth for five months. And sadly, this world at this time, even with all the suffering taking place, they're still going to refuse to repent and give their life to Jesus Christ. Doesn't that blow you away? Drop down to verse 20 and 21, and we'll look at these verses closer next week when we, when we gather. But look at verse 20 and 21. We read, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Isn't that mind-blowing? really shows the power of the deception that's going to be going on during this time. And it shows us the hardness of men's hearts during this time. But here's the amazing thing. Look at verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Whoa. Make it stop. Whoa, dude. Look at this. Whoa, this is going to be really, really, really bad. Two more woes are coming. As we close, I thank my God that my family is saved. I thank my God that not one of us as Christians here this morning will have to experience these horrific events. 
or for that matter, even witnessed it. I can't say this for a fact, but I believe that why we're in heaven and these events are taking place on earth, we're not going to be privy to it. We're going to be too busy worshiping our Lord, which is just fine by me. Heaven's going to be a place of joy and happiness and love and Jesus. But if I'm looking at the ones that I love being tormented and in pain by these demonic locusts, man, it'll be too much for me to bear. But let me say this. If you're not saved this morning, I don't want to imagine any one of you going through this time either. This is a horrendous thought that anyone would, that, that we love would have to experience this. Please take this section of Scripture as a warning from the Word of God. These events are not far away. This isn't some horror fantasy movie or some grim fairy tale. These are actual events that will take place on this earth. You have God's Word upon it. And I believe it's going to be in the very near future. So if you have not yet, please, please call upon God right now. Confess that you're a sinner. Turn from your sin and ask Jesus to save you. Get right with God before it's too late. Repent. Jesus, dot, 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 is our only hope. He is our only hope. Invite Him into your heart to be your Lord, your Savior. And if you mean it from your heart today, He will come in. He'll forgive you. He will save you from His wrath that's about to come on this earth. And sometimes I meet people and they tell me their testimonies and they say, well, you know, I gave up this and I gave up that and I, I was going to do this, but I gave this all to follow Christ. And, and I think, really? What did you really give to follow Christ? Hell, torment, eternal damnation, emptiness. See, the real issue is not what we gave up, it's what God gave up for you and I. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever will call upon the Lord, will be saved. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, please don't leave here without making that commitment to Him today. For us that know Him, we know how it ends. We win. So keep your eyes on the Lord, not on the election, on the Lord, and He'll see us through this. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You, Lord, for the work that You're doing in our hearts, Lord to read these things that are going to happen on this earth, Lord. It's a warning for us to get active, to get busy, to preach against sin, to stand up for righteousness, and to be men and women of prayer, praying for those that we love that don't know You. Father, I do pray, and we do pray as a church, if there's evil that's behind all this election and the, and the, the fraud that's going on, would You expose that, God? Would You bring about exposure and bring to light the things that were done in darkness. But Lord, if this is your will, Lord, we pray that we would continue and not lose heart, continue to keep our eyes focused on you, Lord, knowing that you are our only hope. As uh, Billy Graham said, Lord, we don't put our hope in Washington. We don't put our hope in money. We don't put our hope in anything on this earth. We don't put our hope in man. We put our hope in you, Jesus. The author and Redeemer of our faith. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and we'll do one last song together.